Welcome to Episode 4 of the Infinite Potential Series, Economic Order, Crisis, and the Wheel of Opportunity. Also, this is our first video webcast. So, Adam, experts say that the current economic collapse is the worst since the 1930s. They say nothing of this size ever happened before in the U.S. and world financial markets. Oh, many of those who have money are terrified by their losses, and the rest are worrying about how they are going to survive. Can we discuss how the ordinary person can meet the challenge of this mind-blowing crisis? Well, you and I have been hit incredibly hard ourselves. So maybe we should first find out if uh, we're going to survive economically uh, before we give advice. What do you think? Well, we've done the arithmetic. We think we are probably going to make it. Although we have had to go from plan A to plan B, we have even discussed a backup plan C. Oh, I hope we don't need uh, to implement plan C. Well, before we get into some ideas about what to do now, can we say something about what you think is actually happening? I don't think most people understand the crash yet. In fact, I think an awful lot of people are in denial about it and don't realize how big it actually is. Yeah, it is huge. I'm thinking about it as an evolutionary economical liminal moment. You know, something old is dying, something new is being born. Mm. Of course, at times like this, everyone wants to find out who is responsible and punish them. <laughs> but in a sense, you know, I think we're all to some degree responsible. Mm -hmm. Some more, some less. It reminds me of the old Pogo cartoon, you know, we have sighted the enemy and he is us. <laughs> You know, looking at the bigger picture, it seems to me that globalization is inevitable and there is no turning back ever. But globalization has grown so fast in recent decades that it has outrun our international and national financial institutions. Globalization is like an unstoppable tsunami sweeping the earth. And it, it, it sweeps in with it a new world order. Ooh, yeah. And this collapse and rebirth of the world economic system is a necessary step. Economic globalization is kind of like a very fast, powerful car. And the old financial institutions are like wooden wagon wheels fitted on the car. You know, they work okay as long as the car is going slow. But when a certain speed was reached, they just flew apart. Yeah. Historians will look back on this economic evolution and say, well, it was necessary in order to create much better economic institutions. But right now, I think you really have to want to survive economically. And you got to be ready to work hard at it, or chances are you're probably going to be toast. Oh. So uh, we need a transformation of financial institutions. Uh, an evolution. Mm -hmm. But what can folks do now to survive and make lemon out of these lemons? <laughs> well, first place, downturns and periods of instability are times of enormous opportunities. 
Mm. For, especially for those who can think in new ways. Hmm. Where do we start? Um, with the basics? Well, of course, when in trouble, always get back to the basics. I think that's <laughs> classic. You know, for 15 yeah. years or more, you and I have been discussing a concept called economic order. Those who are living according to the principles underlying economic order are generally in better shape now than those who were not. Uh, economic order is one of the areas we focus on in the mind fitness training. Economic order of some kind is critical to mind fitness and quality of life, including happiness. Well, we have mentioned the mind fitness training several times, but haven't said much about what it is. Could you, could you explain a bit? I assert that a substantial percentage of ordinary people are living extraordinary lives. Mm. We discovered some strategies ourselves which have worked very well for us over the years, over the decades. Yeah. So, you know, we made a study to see if it is possible for others to benefit from what has worked so well for us, you know. Mm. Furthermore, the more individuals unfold their own potentials, the greater the consciousness of the electorate, and a more uh, conscious electorate is, I would say, <laughs> clearly the, what we need very much. Uh, it's the best and the fastest way to meet the current crisis and to evolve our country and contribute to the healthy evolution of the world. Oh, yeah. So, like many others, we set out with the intention of understanding how to bring uh, Oxygen and fuel to what we see as a flame of awakening spreading throughout America and the world. You know, being physically fit is fashionable. And it's easier to do now than it ever was before. So it occurred to me that just like physical fitness, there are particular relatively easily learned strategies and principles which can build mind fitness just like, just like you build physical fitness. So, you know, we registered the term mind fitness and set out to make those strategies and principles available to as many as we can, as inexpensively as possible. That means doing research to discover better ways to learn to enhance mindfulness, quality of consciousness, including creativity, subconscious, unconscious, and Superconsciousness. Uh, we founded the International Mind Fitness Foundation, and the Infinite Potential series is one way to share these treasures or notions or principles, whatever you want to call them, with others. <laughs> and our intention is to bring encouragement, good news, to those who can use it. Yes. It is fun. And besides, it helps us unfold our own potentials. <laughs> you know, so. Well, could you uh, describe the mind fitness training a little more, and then we can go back to economic order. Well, I have been thinking about what people can do to reduce the negative effects of the economic crisis and maximize their ability to seize the opportunities. And you know, the basic mind fitness training itself seems to address the challenges amazingly well, even though it was originally developed during a time of national and international unprecedented prosperity.
So, you know, one way to describe the, the process of mind fitness training is to use what I call the wheel of opportunity. Mm -hmm. the, the challenge is not so much availability of information, but motivation, the energy, the passion, the vision to take the next usually simple and basic steps. Mm -hmm. So I envisioned a wheel of opportunity, I like to call it, which, which might clarify some of the primary categories of concern and opportunity that are applicable to all of us or most of us at least. Mm -hmm. you know, these can be thought of as areas or strategies or principles that can be used very effectively to get started. Note, they all lead to the same place, the center, which represents infinite potentials. When coaching an individual, you know, I can start with the area that he or she is most interested in at that particular moment. Success in the first area can lead to the next step and so forth. Of course, everyone has to start with mind because only mind can generate the energy and focus necessary to begin, begin work on the first area of primary interest or, or, or challenge, whatever it is. Of course, if we're working with a group, we all work on the same area at once. So logically, the next focus is on stress science. Reducing unhealthy stress conserves energy and allows mind to quiet itself, which can bring about uh, economic order, for example. It takes energy and mental quietness to go to the next step, which is exercise. Now, exercise further builds energy required to improve economic order and take on the incredibly important principle of enhancing attention. Mm -hmm. Even small increases in attention can produce outsized results. Some of the best teachers that have ever lived have said that increasing the ability to attend is probably the highest priority self-actualization strategy anyone can apply. Now, attention goes way beyond concentration. Next is the breath work. Learning for oneself how to maximize breathing efficiency through all of the stages of life is common to all of the other episodes or strategies in the mind fitness training or in any training really or learning. However, breathing requires careful, very special attention in order for most to gain the enormous benefits hidden there. Sleep science is another misunderstood an enormously underutilized opportunity for bringing about extraordinary improvement in day-to-day -day quality of life. Oh. Oh. Next we come to economic order. Uh, please define it. Well, I like the term economic order because it gets away from the notion of being rich or poor. You know, mm -hmm. economic order is different for everyone. Perfect economic uh, perfect economic order, as I see it, is having the resources that allow an individual to do what he or she loves to do 100% of the time. 100% mm. of the time? Yeah. <laughs> what about things like uh, chores and housework and people who are trapped in a job they don't like but uh, are afraid to leave? Well, in, in that sense, economic order is relative. I think if people can do 
what they love to do, to do. 10 or 15 percent wow. of the time, they're usually happy campers. <laughs> the key is to make a beginning. <laughs> If one love if one loves something, um, he he gets better at it and probably improves so much that after a while he can do what he loves twenty or thirty percent of the time and so on, and so becoming stronger, happier, and more grateful. Right, one builds from there towards the hundred percent mark. Of course, there are chores and stuff that may not be easy or fun, like. Working out, paying bills, doing the dishes, etc. <laughs> Changing diapers. <laughs> well, that isn't necessarily pleasant, but it is part of doing what one loves. The process of all this changes one's consciousness so that even the chores and tough stuff can become fun. Sort of back to the physical fitness model. The workout might hurt, but somehow it hurts good and you feel so good and energized afterwards. The shower can be delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Dean Martin was driving into the Beverly Hills Country Club, and he ran into Jack Benny Ooh. as Jack Benny was coming out. So Dean said, hey, Jack, how was golf today? And Jack answered in his classic deadpan way, well, golf was so-so, but the towels were wonderful. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> how does one achieve economic order? Lower one's economic goals? Well... I'd rather say one must set wise economic goals yeah. and learn to practice voluntary simplicity. Mm. Voluntary simplicity is definitely the place to start in this economic crisis. Don't you think, I mean, how would you define voluntary simplicity? Okay, all right. But first, I'd like to look into a, a hidden challenge that most of us have when we think about economics. It's kind of subconscious. Our, See, our culture conditions us to an economic mental double bind. Oh. On the one hand, we are conditioned to want to compete and make money and live lavishly, you know, keep up with the Joneses or beat the Joneses. <laughs> the commercial forces hammering on our brain are to buy, 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 and conditioning us to judge ourselves based on our economic success and physical attractiveness and popularity. popularity. The, the pressure is just overwhelming. It takes awareness, wisdom to free oneself from this kind of conditioning. Mindfulness. Yeah, right. <laughs> On the other hand, we are often taught, you know, that the meek will inherit the earth and that there is great virtue in not wanting a lot for yourself, giving to others. We're taught... Mm -hmm. You know, we should be living simply. Simply. <laughs> you know, you see the double bind yeah, culturally yeah. we're conditioned? When I was growing up after the New Deal era, many people believed that if you got rich, you must be stepping on someone, and the true salt of the earth is the working class. Yeah. So, first thing is to break through that kind of polarizing cultural mythology and eliminate inner conflict because it drains energy. Uh -huh. So thinking in terms of economic order rather than rich or poor seems to help many of us rise above the, the double bind, the, the cultural trance. Yeah. Uh, you were explaining voluntary simplicity. Yeah. John Nesbitt and other futurists report that voluntary simplicity is one of the ten top trends worldwide at least in the developed countries. And you can imagine what this economic collapse is doing to 
cause voluntary simplicity's momentum to increase. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the interesting things about voluntary simplicity is that it seems to have begun, or at least gained momentum among those who are what the value-added lifestyle survey oh. calls actualizers. Actualizers. Actualizers are the more educated segment of the population. You know, people with more discretionary income and time. From a psychological perspective, they tend to be people who are less conditioned, less dissociative, more mindful. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, can you give an example? Sure. Typically, a person decides to begin practicing voluntary simplicity because he has come to a realization that he or she is working too hard. Mm-hmm. You know, commuting too far. The kids are becoming oh, latchkey yeah. kids. <laughs> the relationship with the spouse is deteriorating. So somewhere along the line, a decision is made, which often means quitting a good job or at least making major changes in the way work gets done. Actualizers tend to have marketable skills anyway, so they can continue working from home or close to home. You know, and they're willing to earn somewhat less money but have a more satisfying life. Interestingly, those beginning to practice voluntary simplicity often do earn less in the startup period, but in time, they often wind up earning more. Wow. Because happier people are more creative and productive? Yeah. Happier people tend to spend less because they are already satisfied with life? Overconsumption is a sign of discontent. It's like an attempt to fill a void. Exactly. People discover that buying only what is really needed is a more efficient healthier, a more fun, much freer way to live. So they begin to generate savings and they learn how to invest, manage their portfolios, mm-hmm. and and how to earn and spend in tax-efficient ways. Mm. Well, some wealthy people probably disagree with that. <laughs> sure, but, but we're focusing on people who need to improve the economic order in their lives. Rich people are more likely to focus on other areas of the wheel of opportunity. But truth is, many wealthy people are increasing their consciousness and quality of life by simplifying, just like people that are not so wealthy. In fact, the voluntary simplicity movement is often led by people who already earn a pretty good living. Hmm. Uh, Now the uh, ecological movement, inflation, uh, higher fuel and food prices are adding even more momentum to the notion of buying only what we really need. Yeah. So one must begin with simplifying one's economic life. You know, paradoxically, it takes a lot of creative thinking and energy to actually make this happen. It can feel like a campaign, a crusade, taking heaven by storm. Oh, we've been doing this for nearly 50 years and find it a lot of fun and even addictive in a healthy way. How does one get started? Practically. This usually means that one must do a careful evaluation of what actual resources one has. Uh Everyone that I know of who understands how to do a a meticulous, a very careful listing and evaluation of personal resources Mm -hmm. has realized that they have more resources and much more freedom to make changes than they thought Mm. they had before they did the math and actually looked carefully. That's the first step. The next step is to find out what one truly loves to do. 
then start doing that in one's spare time. Uh -huh. So far as I can see, this pattern almost always leads to increased economic well-being. <sighs> well, what if what you love to do is drink or gamble? <laughs> well, plenty of people who love to drink and gamble have reasonably good economic order. If any one of us goes too far, lives unhealthy, loses balance, then, well, hell emerges. Hell emerges, you know. yeah. But the more you do what you love, the better you get at it, which leads to more time and resources to follow your dream, do more, do more of what you love. That's the principle and strategy. It's simple. It's a very old idea, but it somehow has to be rediscovered by each person within the context of each individual's present life circumstances. Many people do not yet realize that thinking in these ways is critically important. Uh, friends, time is up. We will continue with economic order and how to make it happen in episode five. Thank you for being with us.